0: Adam, Saul, David, Solomon, Samson, Samuel, the list goes on and on of people who are known to have been tripped up by trying to work out their own problems using their own understanding, wisdom, strength, or experience. These had desirable attributes, yet were tripped up by their own humanity. Adam, the first. Saul the tallest and most fit to be king. David, the most beloved. Solomon, the wisest. Samson, the strongest. The stories we read of these great men are educational, insightful, and having the benefit of hindsight, we can point out where they went wrong. Each of these men knew that God was the source of their initial success. Who could teach Adam obedience when Adam was the first to stand in the presence of God. Saul was head and shoulders in stature above the crowd, commanding and courageous. But who teaches humility to a king? David's name means beloved, yet his affection and loyalty wasn't enough to stop him from coveting the wife of one of his best friends. Solomon's story was tragic. Why did the wisest man on earth to learn anything the hard way samuel was called by god as a child and served as governor and counselor to kings yet as an old man failed to run his own house in the nurture and admonition of the lord samson trusted in his own strength to flirt with danger but that left him blind and allowed god's enemies to overcome him the fact of the matter is that human nature tends to conceal conceit and pride under what seems like humility, short-sightedness under the disguise of detailed planning, foolishness masquerading as wisdom, and selfishness under the sheepskin of charity. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, follow me. Welcome everyone to episode 14 of the Higher Calling podcast presented by the Avondale Church of God. We left off in our last episode talking about Jesus Christ as our high priest, and we're using Hebrews 10 as a segue from establishing the Christian faith in general to establishing our personal faith. Some key points included in Hebrews chapter 10 are Benefit of the second covenant made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Recap of sanctification, the second work of grace. And wrapping things up with the just shall live by faith. And setting up introductions to the faith chapter, which would be in our next podcast. So, starting out with the conclusion of comparisons of the old law and the new, these next 12 verses or so are finishing up the introduction of the new covenant that we've been working on since chapter seven. Hebrews 10, one through six. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually make the comers there into perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, There is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. So, these first six verses, talking about the weaknesses of the Old Covenant and how it could not make a lasting heart change. Reference the conversation that King Saul had with Samuel about obedience, that obedience is better than sacrifice. Our introduction today started with a discussion of being a good follower and not using your own strength, your own positive attributes, to take the place of good godly counsel and a good relationship with God. And the Old Covenant was full of works. Wear this. Wear a ribbon around your clothes. Perhaps that's going to help you remember to behave yourself. Bring a turtle dove. Bring your sacrifices to the temple. That's going to put a sweet savor in the scent of God. And hopefully he won't crush you because of your sinful actions that you've been living. And that was the Old Covenant. In Jeremiah 31, we'll get there in a minute um, to go back and read that, but God said, It's not working. I'm going to have to do a heart change. So, carrying on here in Hebrews 10, 7. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And Just a quick note here, the Calvinist doctrine of once saved, always saved, or eternal security is not supported by these scriptures and is not supported biblically at all. Um, And we'll get to verse 26 here, but clearly talks about falling away from your faith. And this was not a once saved, always saved, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Um, He only needed to die once, the blood of Jesus Christ is far more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. He doesn't have to do it over and over and over again. Call on the name of Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. That is the good news of the gospel. Picking back up at Hebrews 10, 13. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for... After that, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Key, key verse here. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. You do not need to have an offering for sin if you are pure and holy. You've been purified. You're sanctified for God's purpose. You don't need it. When you sin and you blot your garment with the filth of the flesh, you need an offering for sin. And carrying it into verse 19, this is one of the most smooth transitions that you'll ever see. The last several chapters has been talking about Jesus as the new high priest. And here we see that his body is also the sacrifice and his blood, the atonement. Here we see the word sanctify, which means set apart for some purpose. In Leviticus, some things were designated a certain purpose for the temple. Some things were anointed with oil, Um, the altar, Aaron as the high priest. Jesus did it once for us. No more need for animal sacrifices. And that's the beauty of full salvation. First, the sacrifice for sin. And second, once you are pure, dedicated, and set apart for God's use. Uh, we've talked about sanctification as the second work of grace. Companion scripture being Romans 12 and 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And carrying on here in Hebrews ten nineteen, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, pausing here and going back in time. Look, we've presented there was an old covenant, Jesus died as one sacrifice, doing two things for us. One, making it possible to be cleansed from our sins, and the second being Sanctified, anointed, set apart, purged, and being able to enter the holiest of holies, being able to live a holy life day in and day out. And this is something that the Jews, Orthodox Jews, refused to accept as the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And look, uh, Orthodox Judaism talks about uh, a new Torah, a new law that transcends the old written law. And I'll tell you this, that there is no, absolutely no evidence that any kind of a new Torah changes the heart and life of an Orthodox Jew. And the author of Hebrews has established that Jesus, the Messiah, is the new high priest. And that's the only way that you're going to have a new heart and a new life. And why did we start this episode with exhortation about being a good follower? Well, because it's a choice to believe that this new covenant involves Jesus. Orthodox Judaism does Believe in a new covenant, but not with Jesus. The proof and evidence is clear. Judaism cannot provide a lasting heart change and enable someone to live a life totally pleasing to God. The heart change comes through faith, confession, repentance, and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Carrying on, Hebrews 10, 23-27. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised... And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Tons of good hearing. Why is there a warning about wavering in faith? Because wavering is a real threat to our salvation. And this is a nod back to Hebrews 2.1, where it talks about giving earnest heed lest we let salvation slip. If we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. This is clearly putting to rest the Calvinist doctrine of once saved, always saved where they say, you know, you you cannot fall away from your faith. Even if you have personal doubts, personal failings, the blood of Jesus Christ still covers all of your flaws. And that's part of the actual problem here, is that false religion doesn't want to have a good definition of sin, where it's lined out clearly in the scriptures that whosoever knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And uh, in another spot, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. A personal flaw is not a sin. A poor decision is not necessarily a sin. Jesus himself, Jesus himself in Matthew said, depart from me ye who work iniquity. And that's just plain, it's plain truth. Moving on to Hebrews 10, 28 through 31. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden under the foot, the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again, the Lord shall judge his people. Hebrews 10.31 It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Under the weight of these scriptures, it is quite plain that a Christian still has free will. It might be drawn away, enticed, and according to James, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And then what happens? Is that person any longer a Christian? No. Christian means Christ-like. Christ did not sin. That individual needs to start his first works over as referenced in Revelations. Hebrews 10:32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. We are we are transitioning here into a discussion of faith. And The author is writing to his brethren, his holy brethren, his most holy brethren, people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, followers of Jesus Christ. These folks went through great tribulation in the early morning church after the day of Pentecost and over the next 150, 250 years where there was horrible persecution of Christians all the way up until when emperor constantine said look enough let's make a national religion of christianity all during that time there were horrible persecutions of christians and every single opportunity they had to encourage each other to stay true to god they needed to take reference scriptures such as forsake not the assembling of yourselves together like encourage one another in the lord there's a so great a benefit to saying you're in this uh, together with others you're not alone not only do you have Jesus Christ on your side to give you grace patience but you have your brothers in Christ your sisters in Christ to pray for you to encourage you to reach out to you with a helping hand and encouraging that faith so in verse 35 it talks about your confidence which hath great recompense of reward, confidence of what? Confidence that you made the right choice to convert to Christianity. These are Jews that converted to Christianity. These are Gentiles that forsook their pagan religions and uh, were grafted into the vine, who were adopted into the family. These were folks that made a decision to change the way of life that they were living and to follow Christ. So Hebrews 10:38. now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Again, why is there a warning? Uh, why is there a warning to not draw back? Why is there a, a quote, first person point of view? My soul shall have no pleasure in him because it is a real threat and our faith is the only thing that anchors us into our salvation without faith it is impossible to please god our faith is the most important tool that we have to stay saved our faith controls our obedience our faith controls much of our patience and our endurance our faith controls our decision making and our confidence our faith controls our happiness, our joy, and there's a real important segue here to chapter 11, which we call the faith chapter. The secret to living a happy, joyful, spiritual life is here in these scriptures. Our personal faith is cultivated, developed, and grown by God. He has us on a customized development path that's going to ensure each and every one of us make it to heaven. Our individual faith grows at different speeds. God might put someone through a physical affliction. At the same time, someone else goes through persecution or someone else goes through financial needs. But the common ground is trusting in God's plan and being obedient to the knowledge that we have. Let's look at a couple problems and the only viable solution. Young teenager to present business plan to the king of a foreign land in order to save his father and 11 jealous brothers from a famine he doesn't know about yet. All, while likely not speaking the language. Solution. Be sold as a slave, falsely accused of attempted crimes against the prominent landowner. So, he could be thrown in prison to make friends with a criminal who would only remember him on the off chance that Pharaoh had a nightmare about hungry, cannibalistic cows. Name a young teenager. Well, obviously Joseph, right? But what a scenario. Who could have come up with that plan? Who would have come up with that path? Only God knows the right path. Here's another one. The adopted grandson of Pharaoh needs to help millions of poverty-stricken slaves escape the country with riches and herds of animals, all while ensuring Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army died by drowning. Solution: Scare the entire nation of Egypt into giving them gold and jewels and farm animals, so that all slaves can take short-term leave from their brick-making jobs in order to go into the neighboring wilderness to worship God. Redirect the east wind to blow on the exact same spot on the Red Sea for an entire night using a powerful staff, thereby creating a dry roadbed big enough for everyone to escape with their children and farm animals. Timing it just right so the entire pursuing Egyptian army is covered by the returning seawaters while no single slave was lost in the effort. Only God. How about this one? Challenge. Spend an entire night in the den of starving lions. Bonus points if the lions are hungry enough to eat multiple entire families alive before their bodies would ever touch the ground. Solution? Let God close the mouth of the lions. What attribute is best in this problem, right? Daniel. Maybe Samson, who already ripped one lion in half, could have lasted. David slew a lion and a bear. But Daniel didn't rest on his own strength like Samson did. David, so much confidence in his friendship with God, got complacent. Daniel did not do that. How about another one? one solitary prophet pursued alone with no food or water into a wilderness by a wicked king and queen and thousands of idol-worshiping fanatics to come out alive several weeks later with a plan to overthrow the government and false religion, establish two new kings and a more powerful prophet who would reunite 5,000 previously unknown allies so that Judaism could survive for years to come. What was the key solution there? A still small voice? That's it, not personal strength, not leaning on somebody's own understanding. Here's another one. Two devout Jews to lead millions of grumbling, homeless migrants incapable of following the simple instructions against strong fortified city. Solution: Shouting and breaking pitchers, thereby causing the resonant frequency of the fortress walls to crumble just like a glass window near an energetic opera singer. Then allow the captain of the hosts of heaven to lead the charge into the now vulnerable city. Grumbling, homeless, disobedient migrants must last the entire previous week without saying a single word or making one single sound. But they did it. How did they do it? Only God. Joshua and Caleb couldn't have come up with that plan on their own. It wouldn't have worked, but the captain of the Lord of Hosts made it possible. Here's another one. Poor carpenter must take an all-expenses-paid international vacation to avoid infanticide of his oldest child. Difficulty level impossible. Solution? Do nothing. Three foreign, wealthy kings will travel for two years with enough gold to pay for the trip, while an angel will warn the carpenter in a dream with enough notice for them to slip away to Egypt undetected. Lunatic, hero, or both. Hailed as the champion of moral virtue, hobby architect, zoologist, and amateur mariner takes maiden voyage in a hundred-year-in-the-making prototype mega-yacht. Upon returning to land, finding all living creatures had drowned by world-record-level floodwaters, Noah and his three jack-of-all-trade sons and their wives... Quickly bring back Earth's technology, repopulate cities, and restore natural ecosystems by releasing the animals in the ship's private zoo, allowing all known animals, birds, insects to come back from the brink of extinction. Only God. And it's going to take faith to believe some of these incredible stories. It's going to take faith to say, you know, sounds impossible, but I believe that God can do it. Sounds impossible, but I believe that God did it. I believe that God created the world in seven days. I believe Christ was able to come and establish the new covenant just for us. Well, with that, we'll wrap up this podcast. It's been a pleasure, and we trust that you found the discussion both challenging and encouraging. As always, thank you for listening. And if you have any comments or would like to contact us for any other reason, please visit www.ceasesinning.com or email us at study at AvondaleCOG.org. we love to hear from our audience and would be happy to further any discussion, pray for a need you may be experiencing, and we'll see you next time on The Higher Calling, presented by the Avondale Church of God.